Well, the sermon text today is from Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 6. But before we begin, let me just say that this next week there will not be a recorded video online nor a sermon audio that will be released beforehand. Uh, rather, we will be releasing the audio of the sermon afterwards. The reason for that is we are having a guest preacher next week, a man named Jeremiah Short. He's a man who is pastoral intern at Prattville, uh, just a wonderful man of God, and has begun seminary and is what's called under care of our presbytery. Uh, that means he is beginning the process of being called as a pastor. And so I do encourage you, if you're able to come, to come and join us Sunday morning uh, here at the church. If you're not ready to come inside, that's okay. We have outside in the parking lot places for you to park and listen to it over the radio on FM uh, 97.1. That's just a, a very local station, as in not further much beyond our uh, parking lot. It's a low power station. So you do have to be here to hear it. But if you would like to wait, we will have the recording of that uh, sermon uh, at least by Monday, Lord willing. Well, today we look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 uh, through verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by your spirit you would help us to understand. There might be change in our life where needed. There would be a reminder of your grace and love where needed. We pray for unction and anointing for us all. In the name of Jesus, we humbly ask it. Amen. Well, to quote the famous poet and playwright, William Shakespeare, to tithe or not to tithe? That is the question. Well, that may not be exactly what he said, but oftentimes that is a question that we ask ourselves every time we pull out our checkbooks at the first or the last part of the month, and we wonder, should I tithe or not? Should I give or not? Or to what extent should I give or not? As Americans, we generally think that spending our money and how we spend our money and what we do with our money, that these things are really only our business because, after all, it is our money. Certainly, I feel that way, uh, and I certainly go through life as if the money in my pocket belongs to me. But really, as Christians, we have a different starting point, for it is not our money. None of it is. In fact, there's nothing in this world that belongs to us, even those things which we hold dear to ourselves. We're told this very explicitly in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth 
is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Now when we read the earth and everything in it belongs to God, that really doesn't leave any exceptions. Everything we own, everything we are, everything we earn, everything we know, everything we know how to do, every talent and every second of our life, every child, every parent, every friend, every you fill in the blank, it all belongs to God. He has entrusted things to us, but they continue to belong to him. We are but caretakers and stewards of what God has entrusted and given to us. A steward is someone who takes care of something that belongs to another. You know, I always find it a lot easier to be generous with someone else's money. Don't you? If someone gives you some money to go and buy food for everybody, you know, that tip, it's just easier to leave a little bit bigger when it's not your money. Or it's easier to, to help out someone in need when it's someone else's money. But here's the thing. The money in your bank account and my bank account, it doesn't belong to us. It is someone else's money. It's God's money. And he does have a way of how we're to view it and how to use it for his glory. That's why giving is a spiritual issue, not just a financial one. Giving is a spiritual issue, not just a financial one. Well, let's look at our text. Where are we now in the history of uh, God's people? God has rescued his people out of exile from Babylon, and many of them returned, not all. In fact, a pretty small portion of them did. Came back and uh, they rebuilt the temple, which was completed in 516 B.C. But by the time that Malachi is writing, which is probably about 460 B.C., we're two to three generations after the returning generation. And as such, spiritual apathy has set in. There's no longer that fervor which calls that first generation to travel a really long distance, to leave everything that many of them had ever known, to undergo hardship and to rebuild the temple and to repopulate God's uh, land. And now, the relationship between God and his people was one that was not healthy. In fact, you might say it was broken. The problem wasn't on God's side, although the people certainly felt it was. The problem was on their own. The spiritual apathy manifested itself in several different ways uh, in their society. And Malachi, uh, well, God, speaking through Malachi, his messenger, has been dealing with several of these. We've seen these in our study of Malachi so far. Uh, we have seen that um, the priests weren't teaching and leading God's people correctly. They were even sacrificing animals that weren't up to code. As a nation, God's people wondered if God still loved them. That was the very first thing we talked about. Uh, many have gotten divorced, and not just divorced uh, just because. They've gotten divorced because they want to marry women who worship foreign idols. They've even charged uh, God personally with siding with their enemies rather than them. This week, however, we see God lays a charge against his people that would have had very practical implications for the worship of God Almighty. We see this in verses 7 through 8. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then God answers, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But, but you say... 
How have we robbed you? And then God's response, in your tithes and contributions. He begins in verse 7 making it quite clear that the issue of not tithing was a big deal. Indeed, he says that like so many before them, they have turned away from his statutes. This word turn away is a very key term in the Old Testament. And it means not to just veer a little bit here or a little bit there or just miss the mark just by a bit or give 9.8% of the tithing instead of the full 10%. It means to turn completely away from God and to turn in sin. In fact, we might call this word apostasy. To turn away from God, to love God, excuse me, to love things and self more than God, to reject God. To say that his commandments no matter long to us, belong to us. It's a personal thing. He, he loves his people, God does. And by, by turning away from them, they were taking his love and throwing it in their face. Do you see that this issue of tithing, it's a big deal in that they weren't following the command of God. But it's a big deal, a bigger deal in the fact that it is a symptom of the issue. It's a big deal spiritually when we look at any command of God, whether tithing or something else, and we say, meh, I'll think about it. Or, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but any time that you say that, you're in trouble. I've had several times when people have told me that, and just know that you're not going to get anywhere with me when you say that. I know the Bible says that, but um, it's a symptom of a very unhealthy relationship with God. This is exactly what was going on in Malachi's day. Why was it a big deal for them not to tithe, beyond just the principle of it? Well, for one, they had been commanded by God. When he says to do something, we ought to do it. His word is authoritative over our lives. But secondly, it would have had a very practical impact on the worship of God. To, to tithe, I don't know if that's a word you know or not, um, and children, you can tithe now. Tithing means just giving 10%, or that's one out of every $10 or things that you earn. So kids, if you're paid $10 to help clean up the backyard all day, guess what? God wants you to give one of those dollars, that's 10%, that's the tithe, to your church. That's what that means. Well, to tithe back then was to give 10% directly to the Levites. Who were the Levites? Well, there were 12 tribes in Israel, and when God gave them the promised land, each one of these tribes had land that was their own. It was for them and for the inheritance of their tribe. It was their place. Now, of these 12 tribes, everyone got some land except for the Levites. See, the Levites had been specially set apart by God to serve God and to be a blessing to God's people. It was the Levites who were tasked with making sure that God was worshipped. They would take care of the temple. They would take, get the, the sacrifices ready. They would help teach the people. They would help minister to the poor. And there were some among the Levites who were of the, of the family of a very famous Levite, Aaron, who was Moses' brother. Those in Aaron's family and his descendants were priests. So what would happen is the 10% that God's people gave, it would go to be the income for the Levites. They had no land. And in an agrarian society, you have no land, you have no money. So they were dependent upon the obedience of the rest of Israel to give their tithe, their 
to provide for their needs. Then the Levites would take 10% of their income and give it to the priests, and that was their income. So when the people didn't bring their, their tithes to the temple, this was if, if everybody was equal in terms of numbers, this would mean that 8.3-ish percent of Israel had less or no income than they were supposed to. It would mean that uh, the, the worship at the temple could not go on as needed. It means there wouldn't be enough finances to keep the, the, priests, uh, or the priests supplied with what they needed. They wouldn't have the finances to take care of the maintenance that was required. The priests wouldn't get paid. And, and you know, when that happens, these are the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so that means that Israel would suffer spiritually. It was a big deal not to bring your tithe. But then God ratchets it up just a little bit. Do you know the difference between theft and robbery or stealing and robbery? Imagine if someone breaks into an empty bank at night, doesn't see anybody, he makes sure that there's no one there that night. He pries open the safe and steals all the money and runs away without ever seeing anybody. That's theft or stealing. He stole that money. That's pretty bad. Don't do that. But consider how much worse it is if the person waits until the middle of the day or perhaps on Friday, the last Friday of the month, when it's everybody's payday, and he shows up at 4 o'clock right before the bank is supposed to close, and it's crowded, and he takes his sawed-off shotgun and shoots it into the air and threatens to kill everybody unless they give him all their money. Which one of those is worse? Well, it's the second one, right? That's because when you use violence or a threat, that is called robbery. Now, God tells his people here that they are not just stealing from him. They are robbing God. Now, a lot of times it matters who we do things against, right? If we don't keep a promise to a kid, we apologize. Uh, you, you should apologize if you don't keep a promise to your child. But if you don't keep a promise to your boss, there, there are oftentimes greater um, consequences, right? He's saying here that these people were robbing God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's a very personal thing, apparently, to withhold God's tithing. So what does God call them to do? He says to return. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. Just like this phrase we talked about earlier, to turn, or turn aside, is a word which means really to leave following God. To return here means to repent. A lot of times it's used for conversion in the Old Testament. To repent of your sin and put your faith in God and to receive salvation in Christ Jesus. And he tells them to return, to stop being in their sin, to turn away from their turning and turn back to him, to follow him, which is going to include tithing. Now, now let's be real clear on this. This does not mean that they would be buying God's love. You can't buy God's love. He has everything. Uh, or that their salvation was based on their works. People were, are always saved by faith uh, in the Old Testament and the New, right? Rather, it's the fact that there was a spiritual rottenness in Israel, and this was the, one of the areas where it was manifested. You know, our sin often shows up in our money. I mean, that's how many crimes are uh, committed that are eventually um, proven in court of law because people begin to look at the trail of the money, follow the money. Now, a lot of times we can follow the money to really what we value in this world. Do we value God or self or pleasure or leisure or other people or other things more than God? You follow the money. And God said, hey, I'm following the money 
The issue is with your heart. Repent. Turn back to me. Now, it's a blessing here. We didn't read verse 6 when we first started. Um, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's great news. God does not change. And he remains committed to his people. They deserve to be consumed. We deserve to be consumed. But instead of consuming us, he has instead reached out to us and showed us mercy. It is mercy when God shows us our sin. It was mercy in that God sent Malachi to tell his people, Hey, look, repent, turn, return to me, and I'll return to you. This relationship that is broken, it can be healed. God wanted it to be healed. And God would send another messenger, a greater prophet, the last prophet. God himself would come, the God-man Jesus, to bring us the good news of God's mercy and grace. Turn to me and you will have life. God could have just wiped him out, but he didn't. Our God is a God of second, fourth, hundredth chances. Praise God. Praise the Lord that he's merciful. Well, let's continue with our text. Verses 9 through 12. Let me read those to us again. For you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. There is a price here that the people were paying for refusing to bring God their tithe or to walk with him humbly in salvation. Verse 9 tells us they were cursed. In fact, the Hebrew is really, really specific and really strong. It says, you are cursed with a curse. And the word curse appears twice, both in the English and the Hebrew. Now, let me tell you, it's not a good place to be cursed by God. You want to be blessed. Of course, it points us to the gospel that our Savior would be cursed for us so that we might be blessed by God. But God has stopped blessing them because they didn't really seem to care about their relationship with him. They did not seem to care about their personal relationship with God, and so God, in discipline, had stopped blessing them to get their attention. You know, it is the height of arrogance, but one that we fall into often. If we think that we can live however we want to, contrary to the law and desires of God, and still expect him to bless us or that he owes us some great life. Let me say that again. It is the height of arrogance if we think that we can live however we want to, contrary to the law of God and the desires of God, and still expect him to bless us or this idea that he owes us some grand life. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. And God wasn't having any of it. He wants something much more than that for you and for me. He wants us to experience life in its fullness. He wants us to experience peace with God. He wants us to experience true blessing, which often isn't financial. We see the details that this curse hinted hinted at in verses 10 and 11. First, it appears that God had sent a drought. And he will reverse it if they repent of their sins and renew their relationship with him. He also apparently has sent pests, insects like locusts, something that is devouring their crops. And their grapes aren't making it to full fruition. So what does he do? 
What does God say to do? He says to bring in the full tithe into the, for, to the storehouse. And guess what will happen? The curses will be reversed. He will bless their crops. The devourer will be um, rebuked by God. Um, and they'll actually be known by the nations as a place of blessing and delight. That sounds pretty good. Now, none of this is a surprise. We don't know the Old Testament as well as we should, but I was reminded by a commentary of Leviticus chapter 26 where this is spelled out. If you obey, as a nation state of Israel, right? If the nation, Old Testament nation state of Israel, obeys God and follows in the steps of God that he has put before them, then he will bless them and they will be a blessing to all the nations. However, if they disobey, God will send curses upon them. He's real clear on that. They're not earning their salvation. This is talking about at a corporate level of as a nation. They shouldn't have been surprised this happened. But God in his mercy says, hey, turn back to me, and all this will be made good. So let's step back now and think how we're to apply this text to ourselves. It's clearly a text about giving and offerings and tithes. But the one big question we have to ask ourselves is how much of this text applies to us on a one-to-one basis? Um, how does this apply to us now that we live on the other side of the cross and that we don't live in a theocratic nation-state of Israel? Well, let's look at some principles. Um, Why do we have to figure out which parts of this apply to us and which not? Well, first we have to remember that these were national promises that had been made by God to national Israel. We don't live there anymore. Second, the tithe in the Old Testament was meant to sustain an entire tribe of Israel and to sustain the priests, their ministry of sacrifice. And now we don't have the Levites and we don't have priests. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. A priest makes sacrifices. Christ is the final priest, the high priest. He is our sacrifice and our Savior. So the whole system was meant to supply the needs of Levites. They don't exist anymore. So so what do we do about that? Third, if we really dial down what was required for tithing, it gets really complicated. It wasn't just 10%. What do you mean, preacher? I thought tithing meant 10%. Well, it does. The reality is that there were three tithes in the Old Testament. And so when he did all the math, it was closer to an annualized basis of 20%. 3%. The first tithe, the full tenth, um, went to the Levites, the one we've talked about. But there was a second one, and that was used for the upkeep of Jerusalem and used on pilgrimages uh, for the three feasts that they were required to, to go to every year. And then there was another one that was paid the third and potentially every fifth year uh, that was given locally to support the poor in your area. And so over three years, that'd be 23%. Then every seventh year, you had to leave your uh, field, um, uh, um, what's the right word, fallow, when there's nothing that is planted there. And then again in the 49th year. So how do we interpret that? How does that apply to us? If there are three tithes in the Old Testament, I just knew about the one. What, what do I do? Well, before you think, whew, I don't have to tithe now, that's not what's going on here. I want to then pull from this text principles that very much apply to us as believers. First, let's talk about the tithe. You know, there are some Christians, and perhaps if you're listening to this online, you may belong to a church. 
that says that we're no longer required as New, New Testament, New Covenant believers to give the full tithe. That was an Old Testament thing. Um, you, you know, I think there must be a lot of people who believe that because according to a book I've been reading on giving this week uh, by a guy named Randy Alcorn, he cites a survey that says that um, of American professing believers, they only give about 2.5% of their income on a yearly basis. 2.5%, that's not a lot. And sometimes that, that can be a rounding error for, for some of you people. I don't think they're correct, however, when they say that we're no longer required to give the tithe. I understand their views, and I've wrestled through them this week. Um, but while I think the Old, while the Old Testament does have some differences on the technical side of how it's done and to whom it's given, you know, the principle of tithing goes back well before the idea uh, that is given to us in the Levitical uh, regulations and the law of Moses given to the nation-state of Israel at Mount Sinai. Go look. You see Abram as he tithes to Melchizedek. We see Jacob tithing to God at Bethel long before the law was given. So as a, as a principle, it's been there for a long time. Secondly, there is an important principle as we move from the Old Testament to the New, that what is hinted at in the Old Testament is made more explicit in the New. We see this with how sins are dealt with. Old Testament sacrifices ultimately pointed us to the New Testament reality of Christ. The lesser thing gave way to the greater thing. Things in the Old Testament are expanded in the New, like the covenant people of God in the Old Testament was confined to the ethnic Jews, the ethnic people of Israel, and those who attach themselves to them, but not so now. Who is Israel? Who, is the, who are the people of God? And it is the church made up of Jews and Gentiles. Things, that are, are, things are expanded in the New Testament, not contracted. What this means, as many commentators have pointed out, is that it seems like 10% in the New Testament is no longer the ceiling, but rather the floor of giving. It's no longer the cap. It is rather the beginning. I believe that God still does call us to give 10% of what we earn and calls us to give more. And he desires us to give with a cheerful heart, not reluctantly. We're told that in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the first principle that we can pull from this text is that we as believers are called to give at least a tenth or the tithe of our income to the Lord. The question is, where does this money go? In the Old Testament, it was given to the storehouse. Well, that's great. What is the storehouse? Is there one around Britain? Have, have I missed it? Is that where I'm supposed to take my tithe money? Well, according, I finally found a good definition of the storehouse. An extended hallway divided into numerous rooms or cubicles for storage of tithes consisting of grain, wine, and olive oil. Found that in a commentary. We have to remember that in an agrarian society, people's tithes and offerings were literally things that came out of the field, like animals, wine, oil, and wheat, and other crops. But it was to go to one place and to support the ministry of the Levites. And that's the principle here. It was to go to one place to support ministry. 
I think the principle here is that the tithe is meant to go to the local congregation. If you're listening to this online, if you're listening to it on CD, or however you're interacting with it, if you belong to a congregation, then I would encourage you to tithe to your congregation and not to mine. By the way, I never see who gives any money. If you've sent money in, great, thanks, but I, I don't know it. I like that, not knowing who gives what. That's between the Lord, the treasurer, the secretary, and you. But tithes and offerings are important to support the worship and work of the local congregation, whatever congregation you are part of. Think about your congregation, whether you belong to First Pres or to some other. Your tithes and offerings are really important to supporting the staff. It does support uh, uh, the uh, incomes of the staff, there's no doubt, but, but so much more, so much more. They pay, they pay the power and the light bill. And let me tell you, in a, in a big church like ours, that power bill is pretty expensive. So is the insurance. So is the upkeep. It's a blessing to have this building, but it is expensive to keep it up. Um, it pays for our wonderful coffee. If you've been coming to church, you'll know that it's returned now two weeks in a row. Praise Jesus. Whoop, whoop. It funds our ministry to the youth, our very vibrant ministry to the youth. A portion goes to help those who need help financially in our church and those outside. It supports the, the word getting out to our community. Our offerings uh, and faith promise go to support uh, 12 missionaries, foreign and domestic, uh, that are on the back of our bulletin. But, you know, when we give our tithes and offerings, we're not really giving to the local church. We're not giving to others. We're ultimately giving to the Lord. That, that's how we give it. A third principle, third principle, our final principle before we move on is that of blessing and provision simply put god blesses us when we give generously to him and to others we see that on a national scale here in our text in malachi and that god calls his people to even test him on this principle it's the only place that i know of in scripture where god tells us to put him to the test he says hey return to me my tithes and offerings and wait and see what happens I'm going to send rain, so much rain that you're not going to know what to do with it. There's going to be no more need. I'm going to rebuke the devourer that's been taking care of those crops that, uh, that you've been relying on. And, and, the, and the fruit of your vines, your grapes, they're going to make it to full harvest. In fact, there's going to be so much of it, the other nations around you, they're going to rise up and call you blessed. Whoa, what is going on over there? We have a similar passage as the principle continues within Scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, that is, gives a little bit, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, that is, a lot, will also reap bountifully. The principle still, still holds. God blesses us when we give generously to Him and others. Now, there are a lot of really bad false preachers online and on television that would say that if you give X amount of money, then you've obligated God to give this amount of money back to you. That's not how it works. There are times when God blesses us financially for giving generously to others, but the blessings aren't always financial. In fact, I would say most of the time they're not. Most of the time it is a spiritual benefit. As we learn what it means to sacrifice for ourselves in order to give to others for their benefit, for their help, as we learn about self-denial, that's not a good American word, is it? This idea of self-denial is we model what Christ did for us. Just to share an anecdote, I know that in our marriage, Chrissy and I have, been, have seen some pretty cool things happen when we've been faithful to give. 
Uh, and even when we've given over and above the tithe, um, we, we've never gone without. This is me praising the Lord for the fact that we have never gone without. We've had lean months and fat months. And, you know, sometimes I admit that it's been hard to write that tithe check. I know what that feels like. You know, it's good that God makes it a percentage rather than a flat fee or flat amount because the percentage is always based on what you make. It's 10% if you have a lot or a little. Sometimes it's hard to write that tithe check, and, and I have to repent of that um, reluctance. But God has never failed us. We've always been provided for. There have been times when God has blessed us unexpectedly financially after we've given a gift. Um, there was even one time when I, it was, it was really fun to see how I, I gave someone in need some, some money that I had been given. And, um, and, and, I, and I returned later and someone had given me the exact same amount that I'd given away. I mean, God did, right? I mean, praise God for that kind of stuff. But it's not always financial blessings. But God will bless us when we're faithful to give. That's the third principle. Well, there's so much more we can say about giving. I mean, so much more about the importance of modeling it for kids, about starting at an early age, about starting when you uh, are earning nothing so that you get used to always giving. So when you earn much more later, it's just something that's already in the budget. There's so much we could say. Uh, gross, net. I mean, those are all good questions. But remember, giving is a spiritual issue, not a financial one or not only a financial one. And ultimately, it's fueled by gratitude for God and what he has done for us in salvation. There are two texts I want to share, and we'll end on these, um, that really show us what God has done for us. What did God give? John 3.16, if you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What did God give? He gave his Son. And when he gave, it was to send him on a mission to rescue those like you and me who are deep in our sins, enemies of God. He sent him into a rebellious world to suffer and die, to be crushed on the cross for our sins. If God gave, so should we. If God sacrificed, so should we. If God gave so that others would come to know him, then let's be about the business of giving so the lost can hear about the good news of Jesus. The second verse the last one is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, the Son of Man, the Son of God didn't come just because he was sent. He came willingly because he loves you. He laid down the riches of heaven to enter into this world, stripped of the attending angels around his throne, leaving behind the sinless glories of heaven, and was instead born in a stable, raised in a carpenter's shop, betrayed in a garden, murdered on a hill, laid in a borrowed tomb, so that he might leave an empty tomb. He became poor so that we who are spiritually poor might become the very sons of God, the rich co-heirs with Christ. And if that isn't something to give money in honor of, I don't know what is. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for the riches that are ours in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be obedient, Lord, to give and to give generously. We thank you for all that you've given us. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. 
Amen. Now receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In all God's people said, Amen.